The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals participating in the show. All persons described or mentioned in the podcast should be considered innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. This podcast contains subject matters such as violence and graphic descriptions along with adult language, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. On the morning of July 8th, 2015, a young man is found dead in the middle of a Hampton County, South Carolina country road. Though it's quickly determined he died by a hit and run, the injuries sustained do not match that, nor does his parents believe that story. What really happened? You're listening to the Mysterious Bruise Podcast, and tonight we bring you the case of Stephen Smith. Welcome to a deep, dark, dank, moist basement somewhere in the bowels of Georgia. Well, Coachy, a little uh, late, but hey, we're going to knock it out. This one is going to be worth the wait, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I have cussed Coach probably continuously since what? When did you send this? Last Wednesday or Thursday? Yes. Yeah. So I have cursed his name, his all his the fiber of his being because I was trying to stay out of a rabbit hole because I knew I would be consumed by it. And I thought, hey, this is a seemingly not a rabbit hole, but damn, was I confused. And uh, not only was I confused, I was wrong. And I was so wrong that this is going to be a two-parter, and you know how much Chuck Coach loves doing two-parters. I mean, I don't know. We might get it all. You never know. Never know. You yeah. never know. I didn't realize how big of a rabbit hole it was until I like because I I'd heard about it and I heard it was connected to something bigger. But you know, I have to pay attention to the this podcast while we're recording it, so I was definitely half like half listening to the shit I was being told. And then I was like, man, that's a cool story, but yeah, it deserves to be told. And then I when I started researching it and I was like, Oh yeah, this is, this might be way bigger than we're. And I'm sure people just hearing that name that are aware of the bigger situation would probably like, Oh, I already know what part two is going to be. <laughs> yeah, probably so. And that's how we're going to cliffhang it with the, the name that everybody now knows. But I will say this after I watched the first documentary, you turned me on to the second documentary, and I was like, "Dear God, what am I? What what am I doing?" Yeah. But anyway, two yeah. two separate three episode documentaries. Yeah, and they're both they're good. Then it is a wild, wild, wild case. And Before we start that, I want to just comment on um, you know me being the person that I am. I was on my way home from jujitsu tonight. And so I was listening to our last episode and I always listen to our episodes, not because I'm vain, but I like to criticize the shit out of myself. And I'm just like riding home. like, Ooh, killer drop in there. You dumb fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and I like think of all the things in my head out. Well, I say it out loud if I'm alone, but I think of all the funnier things I could have said at that moment. And I'm like, dude, 
Like I'm just gripping the steering wheel. Like you're a freaking idiot. Why are you even on this podcast? <laughs> Until last week's. And you Bro, knew. You gotta start picking episodes where you can pronounce shit, dude. That was hard. Yeah, it was. <laughs> and I'm usually pretty good at Latin names because we are both. You I was like common Latin names. I'm not. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that I'm not very good at ancient Latin names. Ancient Latin names, bro. I'm like, not very I was good listening at it. And I was like, man, people. I got emails. I got text messages. They, people were how, like people I work with that know that have been able to peek behind the curtain. They emailed me. They, they were like giggling hard. So, yeah, just a good old Southern boy down here trying to do some inking and Aztec names and not getting it worth a shit. I love you, bro, and you know it, but, man, I was like, dude, because I was laughing at the time. At the time, it was, you know, my boy, I'm laughing at you, making fun of you during the time, but I'm listening back. I was like, damn, it's like maybe we should stick, let's stay the fuck out of, you know, the Aztecs. And yeah. I'm, I, what I'm going to do from now on is I'm going to put it in that, uh, there's a website where it'll pronounce it for you. And uh, I'm just going to stick the names in there. And so when I come to one I cannot pronounce, I'm just going to, like, have a computer read it. So, yeah, yeah, everybody had a laugh at my expense. But, obviously, it paid off because we got two new patrons. I don't know if we shouted the first one out last week or not, but he is our new super fan. Sorry, Lumi Joe. You're still up there. And, Heater, you're still up there. But, Mr. Jimmy Cruz, the man that lets it roll on six, five, six days a week, is our new $3 patron. He is... Roll on highway. Roll, roll on long, roll, roll on, mom, till I get back home. Roll on, family, that. roll I on, love crew. Alabama. That was my very first concert as a child. Did you go to Alabama? Uh, did you go over to they the June Jam? Link. It might have been June Jam. I was really young. It was either June Jam. I know I saw them twice. I saw them once at June Jam and once at Lake Winnipesoka. At the Soka? Yeah. Hey, dude, back in the day, with. Lake Winnipesoka had some good people coming. I know they did. It's still a decent little carnival type it, yeah. place. It's not an amusement park. I wouldn't call it that. No, it's like a carnival just said, hey, we're going to put our stakes down. <laughs> but one of the best, as a child, I've been to a lot of good concerts, but as a child, the best concert I ever went to was Garth Brooks and because it had nothing to do with Garth Brooks. But the people two rows in front of us, and I'm maybe like 10, 11, 12 at the most, people in front of us were quite intoxicated and two old boys who came there together decided to get in a little bit of fisticuffs. Say it ain't bigger, so. the, the much bigger of the two throws a haymaker and old boy smartly ducks out of the way. But his girlfriend, Oh, not so much. And dude, it was brutal. I felt so bad for that girl, but that fight was epic. And I was like, I was like, Mama, this is the best concert ever. <laughs> this, like, is so much, this is so much better than Alabama. <laughs> I got to see somebody get their ass beat. Yeah. <laughs> Our other new patron is Miss Beverly Miller Hill. So thank you, Mr. Cruz and Miss Hill, for joining the Bruise Crew. So let's get after it, man. Um, we're going to jump head first into this. So if you. Uh, we kind of played coy there at the opening, but uh, we are talking about the case of Stephen Smith 
from, yes, you guessed it, the same Hampton County, South Carolina, where the entire country has been focused on court TV. As they should be. That dude's going to fucking prison. Yeah. As he should. I just don't know. We'll get into it later, but, man. Anyway. All right, so Stephen Nicholas Smith was born at 7.05 a.m. on January 29th, 1996. Weighing a mere two pounds, 12 ounces. To say he was a preemie is an understatement. Now, Stephen's twin sister was born weighing almost three times that amount. Stephen was given a 50% chance of survival due to his low birth weight. His mother, Sandy Smith, recalls, quote, he overcame the odds and he survived thanks to Milkmaid, who provided extra breast milk. He always joked his brain come from her, end quote. When asked to describe Stephen... Sandy stated that he had always been a very smart kid. Quote, his room was a library. Every dollar he got from chores, he'd be buying books. He was so smart, and he always had a dream of being a doctor. End quote. Now, Stephen's plan was to become a nurse while saving for medical school to ultimately become a doctor. Stephen was attending classes at Orangeburg Technical College, and unfortunately, Stephen would not see those dreams of becoming a doctor come to fruition. Stephen was found dead just before 4 a.m. on July 8, 2015, in the middle of Sandy Run Road in Hampton County, South Carolina. Officially, Stephen's death was ruled a hit-and-run accident. However, investigators quickly began to receive tips that the hit-and-run theory was bullshit. And, I mean, from what I've researched and saw, like... you cannot chalk this up to incompetence. You can't. Even the dumbest cop will, would know that this was was not a hit and run. No, and this here's stinks of cover up big time. And here's what's so crazy. There's two sides to this argument. And after watching the documentaries and doing this research, I'm going I'm going to have to say the local yokels fucked it up. The Hampton County Sheriff's Department, I'm not so sure that they could see with a flashlight in the map. But to give credit where credit is due, South Carolina Highway Patrol did immediately suspect something fishy because Stephen was found lying on his back, both legs at an angle, and his shoes were still on. Now, not only were his shoes on his feet, but they were also loosely tied and appeared that he had basically just slid them on and got in or started walking. If you know anything about hit and run accidents and the guy in one of the documentaries, I can't believe, I can't remember which one it was, said that he would almost bet 100%. So he said 99.5% of the time, if it's a hit and run, the shoes are not going to be on the person that was hit. Oh, they're flying off. They're right. flying, like, to the point where you might not even find Yes, you're literally knocked out of your shoes. Now, another red flag for the South Carolina Highway Patrol was that Stephen did not have any broken bones indicative to being struck by a vehicle, as well as the fact that his keys and his phone were still in his pocket and his phone was not damaged. I've watched my wife accidentally drop her phone and the damn thing shatter. So you can't tell me that a kid, and I am going to say he's a kid because he was 19, and I'm much, much older, but a 19-year-old young man 
that was supposedly hit by a moving vehicle didn't shatter his phone. Listen, brother, I have, because of my hobbies, which include lots and lots of oat sodas, I have broken nearly every phone I've owned. And I promise you, it does not. I can be sitting on in a chair, the phone falls three feet, and that glass breaks. Yes. You can, I can, I'm telling you, like, I've broken, like, probably the last four or five phones I've owned. Now, Fitznews.com did a four-port story. A port? Port. Four-port four store? Four-port store. One of them four-port stores? Yeah, four-port stores. <laughs> My God, I got that four-port store. They did a four-part <laughs> article, series, investigative, whatever, and the lady that did the articles also started a podcast with the comings and goings in Hampton County. But in the articles that I saw that they had released, they stated that the crime scene photos of Stephen were horrific. I did not go looking for them because I don't like that shit at all. I will tell you this. In the HBO documentary, they blur out his face. But They really went for it. Yeah. Of the two sets, I watched the Netflix one first. Me too. I'm telling you, they're both good. But HBO was like, you want to see it? We're going to show as much of it as we can. And I cannot stress to you enough how horrific what they showed was, much less what the crime scene photos probably show. Now, Stephen's entire face was covered in blood that was coming from a seven and a quarter inch hole on the right side of his forehead. And I'm going to give you a second. Go find your ruler. Whip that thing out. Not that uh, that thing, because you're lying if you think it's that big. <laughs> <laughs> Measure yourself off seven and a quarter inches and put it against your face. It was on the right side of his forehead. His head had been, quote, misshapen by blunt force trauma. His right shoulder was partially dislocated. His right hand had cuts and bruises on it. And investigators would locate Stephen's car three miles away on the side of Bamberg Highway. Inside the car, they found Stephen's wallet. And the way, I don't know which one it was, but it was like it was, it kind of fell out of his pocket, but it was tucked between the frame of the car and the seat side. The passenger side. That's what I thought. I kept replaying it in my mind. I didn't go back and try to find it. But that's what I thought it was on the passenger side, too. And he's three miles away as it, I, crow flies. As the crow flies. It's. Oh, hell, like he's probably eight miles. He had to, he had to take a right. And go a long way, take a left, go a long way, and then take a right. I mean, uh, another left to get to where he was. It, he, it wasn't a str- – what I'm trying to say is that he didn't walk down the same road the entire time. No. He made a few turns. And if the three miles would have been directly – If he was walking. Correct. Directly through the woods, and that didn't happen either. So there's a whole other angle with, with that. But anyway, in the – incident report it is noted that the car's gas cap was quote unscrewed and left hanging outside of the gas door end quote which that kind of it it could be here or there it could be just him i don't know but that just doesn't make sense to me if you run out of gas you can open your gas can right and the sister says that he had run out of gas before and he just phoned her he was like hey i i screwed up i run out of gas i'm over here so and so can you come get me here's well 
this is very, this is a theory of mine and it's very, you know, who the hell knows? I have no idea, but I could picture somebody in a pickup truck saying, you need gas? I got gas in the back of the truck and he unscrews his cap and he's like, well, I ain't getting out, man. You want the gas? You got to take it yourself. And he goes to get it out of the truck and they just toss his ass in the back. Yep. I just thought of that. I really could. I contributed today. Yeah, you did. You got your A game on. Oh, man. That's like, man, this is like back in the first the episode 50 to 100, man. I'm clicking. I'm, I'm, I haven't checked out tonight. He's on 93 octane, boys and girls. He's on 93 octane. <laughs> <laughs> South Carolina Highway Patrol investigators quickly ruled out hit and run as a cause of death. And the coroner, however, would rule the death a shooting homicide. Now, that is the local coroner. Because of the large gaping wound in Stephen's head, he thought that it was the result of a gunshot. Investigators would head back to the crime scene and search both sides of the road for evidence. You have the Hampton County Sheriff's Office, the South Carolina Highway Patrol, and SLED, which stands for the South Carolina State Law Enforcement Division, all working in conjunction looking for evidence of a shooting. They found nothing. There was no bullets, no gunshot residue, no tire marks, no vehicle debris, nothing. They said that stretch of road where he was found was so clean of debris, it was eerie. Yeah, and if it's a hit and run, you're going to think you're going to see shards of glass, maybe a mirror. Paint chips. Paint chips. There's going to be some. That car is going to leave for a car to do that kind of damage. It's going to leave something behind. Correct. And it was theorized that it was, well, we'll get into it. All right. So I'm going, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, yeah, the injuries to the body aren't consistent with a hit and run. There's nothing. What I was thinking is somebody would say, well, maybe it just upended him. And he just cracked his head on the ground. Yeah, but if that's true, that would have been indications of that on the body. And if it upended him, them shoes are gone. Oh yeah, you turn a, you get hit by a car and you turn a flip. First thing, those I'm telling you, those shoes are gone. Like that, be hard to even find them. How far those shoes will go? Yeah, especially the way they were tied. When you look at the um, the photos. And we'll put a picture of the photos on our um, socials. And I'm working with Big Ship Dog about our website. He's getting it rock and rolling. We're going to have a blog page on there so we can start putting photos, our uh, case notes kind of stuff on there. So if you're interested, you can look at that on our website, mysteriousbruge.com. Big shout out to Shep Dog for running that thing for us. Now, the timeline I'm about to go over is in-depth. And we are talking about the day of the incident. So we've got 3.57 and 43 seconds in the morning. The reason this is so specific is because a man called 911, and this is when the log at 911 came on. And I'll play that 911 call for you now. Hampton County 911, where's your emergency? Yeah, uh, I just going down the wrong um, Crockerville Road. Mm-hmm. I see somebody laying out in the road. Oh, in the road? Yeah. Uh-uh. 
Somebody boy hitting it. It's dark. Uh-huh. Somebody boy hitting All right. We're getting also headed out that way. Okay. All right, sir. So that's the actual 911 call that's played on. I think it's played on both documentaries, if I'm not mistaken. But this man says he sees a guy laying in the middle of the road. He's afraid somebody's going to hit him again. 4.07 a.m., the Hampton County Sheriff's Office, Officer Michael Bridges responds to the scene first, although there are several conflicting reports about what time he actually arrived, and we'll get into that later. Uh, 5.15 a.m., South Carolina Highway Patrol Officer J.L. Booker was notified by Lieutenant Bruce Brock, also of the South Carolina Highway Patrol, of the incident. 5.18, Booker notifies Corporal Michael A. Duncan of the incident. 5.37, South Carolina Highway Patrol Sergeant Moore gets a call from Corporal M.D. Allen of the South Carolina Highway Patrol telling him about a possible hit and run on Sandy Run Road. Allen tells Duncan that, quote, the only injuries to the victim were around the head area, end quote. 6 a.m., Duncan, on the way to the scene, calls Booker and says that he was, quote, told it appeared to be a homicide and Sled was taking it over. Booker says he was, quote, advised there was a possible gunshot wound to the victim's head. 6.08 a.m., South Carolina Highway Patrol Officer Moore is advised by Allen that the mate team is en route and that Allen is almost at the scene. Moore leaves his home and heads to Sandy Run Road. Allen informs Moore that it is a homicide, not a hit and run. Moore tells him to make sure that the coroner and the Hamilton County Sheriff's Office are also ruling it a homicide. So this is where some of the shade gets thrown at law enforcement, and it's just a blanket throw. To be honest with you, I can't say anything bad about the South Carolina Highway Patrol or the mate team because... They were dotting I's and crossing T's, as you can can tell and will tell as we get deeper into this. As I stated earlier, Hamilton County Sheriff's Office. They but, might not be the most dependable. No, and we'll get into why that is. So 6.12 a.m. sled crime scene was requested by Chief Deputy Billy Gerald of the Hamilton County Sheriff's Office to assist in the investigation of a possible homicide in Hampton County. Now, James B. Talon III and Brittany Burke, both of SLED, respond to the scene. The note said, quote, Chief Gerald, Investigator Perry Singleton, and several other personnel from Hamilton County Sheriff's Officer were on the scene, end quote. Now, Moore arrives at the scene and speaks with Hampton. I've been saying Hamilton. Shit. It's Hampton County Coroner. Oh my God. I know. I can't get Are my we Hamilton. Restart the podcast. <laughs> no, we ain't. <laughs> <laughs> it's Hampton County Coroner and Hampton County Sheriff's Office. So the Hampton County Coroner, Ernie Washington, tells Officer Moore, Investigator Moore, that this is a homicide. Now, Coroner Washington points to the wound on Stephen's head and calls it a gunshot wound, showing Moore the quote entry point. Hampton County Deputy Coroner Kelly Green showed more photos of the body and pointed to the, quote, entry point on Smith's head and also to a defensive wound on Smith's hand. Now, Moore asked Green, quote, if they were sure it was a homicide, and their response both was yes. 
more advises mate, they're no longer needed, more than walked the scene and saw no evidence of any car parts or pieces and then had all units clear the scene. Now, SLED, Officer Talon and Burke arrive at the scene at 8.25 a.m. Talon notes that, quote, an EMS worker stated that a projectile wound was located on the victim's head. Hampton County Coroner's Office moved the victim prior to the sled crime scene arrival, end quote. That is a no-no. If you learned anything from watching CSI, do not touch the body till the coroner has said it's okay. And this is from one of the sled agents in the report. Quote, Upon entering the scene, agents observed that the scene was secured by Hampton County Sheriff's Office personnel in yellow barrier tape. The victim was covered with a sheet. A hole in the skull was located above the victim's right eye. It was still unclear at the time if this hole was caused by a projectile. The victim's right arm was covered in blood, and agents were unable to see any injuries. End quote. So you've got sled agents noted or noting minor injuries to Stephen's left arm, his left hand, and his head other than the gaping wound. They search the area for cartridge cases, and they bag Stephen's hands, just like they're supposed to. The coroner searches through the victim's clothing and locates a vehicle key in Stephen's front left pocket. The key is then turned over to Hampton County Sheriff's Office personnel. Quote, no other evidence was located at the scene. And... A sled agent wrote, quote, prior to leaving the scene, agents discussed their findings and completed a walkthrough with investigator Perry Singleton and Chief Billy Jarrell. So at 9.18 a.m., the sled agents released the scene back to Hampton County Sheriff's Office and leave the, leave the scene. Two minutes later at 9.20 a.m., sled agents then responded approximately three miles, air miles, from Stephen's body to his vehicle on the side of Bamberg Highway. Quote, after receiving a search warrant, agents searched the area and the vehicle. The gas tank door was opened and the gas cap was hanging on the side of the vehicle. The vehicle doors were locked. The key located in the victim's pocket was used to open the vehicle. The vehicle was in part. The battery was functional. However, the vehicle would not start. This is where they find Stephen's wallet, like we had previously discussed, tucked between the frame of the car, the very bottom frame, floorboard, whatever you want to call it, and the side of the passenger's seat. Now, Investigator Singleton takes the wallet, documents that he's taken it, bags it. No other items are taken from the vehicle. They don't dust the vehicle because at this time, they are told it's a hit and run. Well, I mean, in the fact that their whole theory, though, is that he ran out of gas and he was going, he was walking to get more. You think the the the, the man would think to take his wallet? Yes, if you're going to get gas, especially you would, if he's not intoxicated, I could see my dumbass like I'm just gonna go get some gas, you know? I ain't gonna go up and get some gas. Well, the bad thing is. If he was going to go get some gas, he would have had to walk 12 miles and never get on Sandy Run Road where he was found. 
So at 940, sled agents leave the scene of the car after doing a walkthrough with Investigator Singleton and Drell. South Carolina Highway Patrol Officer Allen tells Duncan that they are not needed at the autopsy, according to SLED and the Hampton County Sheriff's Office. 10.30 a.m., the South Carolina Highway Patrol investigator Moore notes that Coroner Washington tells him that this is when Joel and Sandy Smith, Stephen's parents, were notified of Stephen's death. At 11.29 a.m., Talon and Burke attend the autopsy at the Medical University of South Carolina. Talon notes the weather was cloudy and 92 degrees, like it mattered. Quote, it was determined that the wound in the victim's head was not caused by a fired projectile. The pathologist stated that it appeared the victim was struck by a vehicle. Talon contacts Singleton to tell him that South Carolina Highway Patrol would need to be contacted again to investigate. Supposedly, they run a gunshot residue kit and put the findings in the autopsy report. So we have the first insertion of fuckery right here. (laughs) There's going to be several. Hours after the coroner had ruled the death a shooting, you have a pathologist at the Medical University of South Carolina, one Dr. Aaron Presnell, rule that Stephen was killed in a hit-and-run accident. Dr. Presnell would theorize that, quote, Stephen was struck in the head by a mirror on a semi-truck. So twelve thirty. Semi truck. Yep. A semi truck. Do you know how high them some bitches is? Unless they got the cat eye mirrors, and then if you cracked him in the head with a cat eye mirror, you damn near run over him. You have to stand. Look, it's the same height as a damn bus mirror. You have to stand on the side of the freaking bus to adjust them some bitches. Now I know. There's some Cadillacs of 18-wheelers that are probably electric mirrors. But my poor ass working at the county school that I worked at, we still had the old slide the door open, beat the shit out of the mirror till you could see. <laughs> <laughs> or, or you got the tallest person on the bus to go over there and start bending it, and you'd be like, whoa, 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 back up. Back up here. Back up. Oh, you dang, dead damn it. You went too far. But anyway. So twelve thirty. Dad, dad, I said, Dad, dad damn, damn it. it! I said, Dad, dad damn it! Dad, it. dad damn what it, boy! In the, what in the country ass hell is that? That's smoke. <laughs> that's Smokey and the Bandit, Buford T. Hey, man, give me a sandwich, man. I'm in a gosh dang hurry. Make it snappy. All right. So at twelve thirty p.m. on the day Stephen was found, the Medical University of South Carolina report autopsy report penned by none other than Dr. Aaron Presnell, states that cause of death, blunt head trauma due to, quote, motor vehicle crash, seven and a quarter inch laceration on the right side of Stephen's forehead, along with bruises on both sides of his forehead. Right side of skull has multiple fractures, bruising, and contusion. His right eyebrow is cut. His right shoulder is dislocated. He had small cuts on the inside of his left arm. He has cuts and bruises on his right hand. 
He has cuts on his right arm, including a six-inch irregular cut on the inside of the right arm. He has cuts on his right fingers, 12 three-inch aggregate or irregular to angulated abrasions on right arm, and he had blood in his airways. And, and this is hard to read because she's an idiot. Quote, in light of historical information and the autopsy findings, it is the opinion of the pathologist that the descendant died as the result of blunt head trauma sustained in a motor vehicle crash in which the decedent was a pedestrian struck by a vehicle, end quote. That is in the autopsy report by Dr. Prisnell. Now, the toxicology report would state that Stephen was stone cold sober at the time of his death. Ne'er a trace of drug, ne'er a trace of alcohol in his system. Now, again, kudos goes out to the South Carolina Highway Patrol, mate, and sled. In South Carolina, if a vehicle-related accident has occurred, the investigation is transferred to the mate team. Now, the mate team stands for Multidisciplinary Accident Investigation Team. A mate detective by the name of Todd Proctor stated in an official mate case file, number CL062-15, that it was, quote, clear to the investigators that the pathologist's conclusion of a hit and run was not what the evidence showed, end quote. Let that sink in for a second. How many times, I would dare say it's less than five, do you have an investigative entity going against the autopsy report after the autopsy report has been released? They knew that that autopsy report stunk to high heaven. And Officer Proctor, Investigator Proctor, I'm probably sure I call him Detective Proctor throughout the notes. Anyway, my hat's off to him. He was not interviewed in the documentaries, but Duncan was interviewed, and it stated in the HBO one that it was former mate officer Duncan. So either he retired or he just left. Now, we have the actual case file uh, report that we can also post. I'm going to give you the cliff notes of it. But basically it stated that Proctor went down to the Medical University of South Carolina to talk to Dr. Presnell. And the reason that he went down there was due to the preliminary report that stated it was a gunshot and then she rules it's a hit and run. Now, First Sergeant Moore had already had from Proctor's understanding a heated conversation with Dr. Prisnell about this cause of death. Now, the mate team always had a good working relationship with the Medical University of South Carolina, so Proctor wanted to see if he could go down there and get some sort of clarification. As soon as Dr. Prisnell comes in the room, she begins talking to Detective Proctor, Investigator Proctor, in a negative tone stating, Quote, I did not have a meeting scheduled 
and that she was too busy to talk to me. She stated that she could not even begin speaking with her, uh, the investigator about the case without the coroner's consent. What? Lady, you just did the fucking autopsy. Oh, wow. So Proctor advises her that he had already spoke to the coroner the day before, and then she doubles down and calls the investigator a liar and said that she would call coroner Washington immediately when asked if she wanted me to call coroner Washington, that me being investigator Proctor from my cell phone. She backed off quickly. Proctor asked her why she stated in the report that it was a hit and run. And her answer was quote, because he was found in the road, end quote. That's what hmm. she based her whole fucking thing on. And yeah, it pisses me off. You are going, you are a medical professional. And you are going to just state that this poor kid was hit by a car because he was found in the road. I mean, you put the kid in water. The same logic, he drowned. Because he was in water. It makes no sense, man. No it does sense. if you don't give a shit. If it does if you don't give a shit and you're corrupt and you're trying to close this case as soon as you fucking can, it makes perfect sense. And I was gonna say this till later, but um, there was a huge, like basically they put Susan Presnell on blast, and I will. I guess I will save it because it's freaking long as hell but anyway we'll go back to it but the lady that put that i found this from reddit did her due diligence cites not only the coroner's report but also the autopsy report and everything else that we were are about to go over hey guys arlo here and if you are struggling with the old caffeine in the morning i have got the fix for you it is called magic mind and it is just a little two-ounce shot that you drink with your coffee or your energy drinks in the morning. It is chocked full of greatness, and it will get you focused, and it really actually has the L-theanine, and that lowers your cortisol hormone, which helps absorb that caffeine that you're intaking. Now, Magic Mind has nootropics, adaptogens, matcha green tea, and 12 magical ingredients. That matcha boosts your energy. The adaptogens help with relaxation, and the nootropics keep you focused. A bonus is that it has vitamins C and D along with the echinacea to help your immunity. So head over to magicmind.co backslash brews and enter the promo code BREWS20. That is Bruise 20, B-R-E-W-S-2-0, and that will give you a 20% off coupon for either a one-time purchase or subscription to a monthly dose of Magic Mind. So, let's get back at it. Um, she had, Dr. Presnell had no evidence other than him being found in the road for her to state that the cause of death was a hit and run. She then asked Proctor why 
he did not think it was a vehicle strike. So he explains to her that they had no evidence of a vehicle strike because there was no car parts or paint transfer or his, like his fucking shoes are still on his feet. And he asked her if someone with a baseball bat could do what was done to Steven's head. And she says, no, he, no. Yeah. I mean, if the person swing, it's a bat. If the person swinging it is swinging it with the intention of murdering the person they're hitting, they can take the head off. Damn near take the head off. O F T oft. Proctor ain't picking up what she's putting down and dub and calls her bluff and says, "What about someone in a moving car with a bat?" And she states flippantly, "Well, I guess that could happen. I guess that's possible." I mean, if the car, yeah, if you add the speed of the car and the force of the force of the swing. Man, hell yeah, that's possible. I'd say damn near likely. I, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and agree with you. <laughs> I'm just gonna go out on a limb and say you might be right, considering the fact that the amount of blood on that freaking asphalt. Man, it's horrible. Amount, I, I mean, I was gonna say that. That was gonna be my theory: is that he, it was a passing car. And they saw him, they knew what he was, they knew who he was, and, I mean, we haven't mentioned it yet, but he was openly gay. Not that it matters, but yeah, in a small southern no, town. No, no, it matters in the fact, it doesn't matter to us. It will in the evidence that we get to. to the point where it's a small, small town in South Carolina, and we live in a world filled to the fucking brim with assholes, and homophobia is definitely... 100% still a thing. And so it could have been the people that drove by knew him because he was openly gay in a small town. Everybody knows everybody. And according to the HBO documentary, he also helped other teen, teen students. Yeah. He helped. Yeah. Other ones, others that were still in the closet. He was helping, he helped them to cope with coming out. So he was, known as he was open. So it's very likely that the people uh, knew who he was, saw who he was, saw the opportunity and took it. Going back to Dr. Presnell, after Proctor asked her if a bat could have done this coming from a moving vehicle, she then asked him, well, did you find a bat? Oh, my Lord. Well, he couldn't have been shot. There was no gun found at the scene. <laughs> I love this lady's logic, man. I love it. It's so fucking stupid. It's it's laughable. It is a, it is a physical <laughs> impossibility that that man was shot. There was no gun found at the scene. <laughs> Sir, we found a projectile lodged in his spine. No way. Couldn't find a gun. <laughs> how could it? I mean, how could there, how could that be? There was no gun. So Proctor, being the bigger person, realizes that he's not going to get anything productive out of the whole conversation and decides that, fuck it, I'll just go file my report. 
And he said, fuck it, we'll do it live. That's right. We'll do it live. And then he goes calm. So he files his preliminary report and then states, basically, this is what I get paid to do. I'm going to investigate this and determine one way or the other whether it was a hit and run or whether we're dealing with a murder of other means. Now, the report alluded to some tension, you think? (laughs) No shit. It was found out that not only was Mr. Proctor questioning the good doctor's findings, but another investigator with the South Carolina Highway Patrol, quote, had already had, from his understanding, a separate heated conversation with the good doctor about her issues in the autopsy report. So you got two different teams, two separate investigators questioning this lady's conclusion. So it's like a Fami Malik situation. Yeah. And we're not even going to sniff Arkansas in this episode. (laughs) We might as well. So on July 22nd is when this whole thing went down. Okay. It was so shitty that Proctor states in the report, quote, she spoke to me in a negative tone, basically called me and the South Carolina Highway Patrol officer a liar and stated that she had already previously talked to Hampton County Coroner Ernie Washington. Well, if she had, Ernie had already said he thought it was a damn gunshot wound. I just cannot get over. I asked her why she stated in the report that it was a hit and run, and her answer was, quote, because he was found in the road. She had no evidence other than that for that statement being in her report. End quote. Well, like I said earlier, and I'm sticking to it, like there's just too much bullshit going on to justify incompetence. Oh, like, no, this is can, straight up corruption. You can, yeah, you can chalk things up to, oh, well, that person just having an off day and they were stupid, but this many stupid fucking people? Well, so far we're dealing with one glaring asshole that is just doubling down with the might of her pen. But anyway, I digress. And I haven't seen I haven't seen a glaring asshole since I was in prison. And that was just a few months ago. <laughs> oh, oh, come on, man. That hurts. That is not true. And you know it. That is it is a fabrication. All right, so in August of the hell just happened. I don't know, you tell me, brother. All right, so in August of 2015, the coroner told Proctor that he had and did not agree with Dr. Presnell's final autopsy results in Stevens' case. The final autopsy report said that Stevens' cause of death was blunt head trauma, motor vehicle crash, pedestrian versus vehicle. It said the manner of death, which is either homicide, accident, natural suicide, or undetermined, she did leave it undetermined. Holy dear. All right, so this is another report that Investigator Proctor filed, and I'll just read this because it's pretty short. I'll just read this to you. Quote, I spoke with Coroner Washington today in reference to the final autopsy report issued from 
Medical University of South Carolina. He faxed me a copy of the report and told me that he does not agree with the pathologist stating the victim was struck by a motor vehicle. We discussed the fact that the report states the cause of death as blunt head trauma, motor vehicle crash, pedestrian versus vehicle. Then the manner of death was undetermined. I would think that blunt force head trauma. <laughs> Shit. I would think that blunt force head trauma would be the cause of death, and the motor vehicle crash would be the manner the trauma was delivered to cause the death. But those two individuals are using logic, and that was not used in the autopsy. The pathologist also states in the report that in light of historical information along with the autopsy, these conclusions were made. To what historical information she possessed, I am unaware of. I attempted to speak with Dr. Presnell at an earlier date to go over the information that had been discovered throughout the investigation, and that was ill-received. The coroner did tell me that the deputy coroner that had gone down to the Medical University of South Carolina the morning of the autopsy and spoke with the good Dr. Presnell stated she has since been fired from her office. I spoke with the deputy coroner Green and Agent Burke with SLED as both of them were present at the time of the autopsy. Both stated they made no reference to the pathologist about the victim being struck by a vehicle, only that he was found in the road. The coroner stated that he had made contact with Dr. Presnell and she stated that she would be willing to change her report to read however he wanted it. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. She's just proven she ain't got a clue or, as Coach has alluded to, she's corrupt as hell if the coroner can call her back and go, hey, no, I think it was uh, drowning. Even though we found him in the road, I think he drowned. I just don't understand it. All right, so more fuckery, if you hadn't have figured it out, in a lot of historical information along with the autopsy. What fucking historical information do you have? Is there some sort of chart that says that poor Stephen Smith walked down the road all the time, which we know that's bullshit. Dude. Because according to his sister, that may me that may be the best line out of that HBO documentary is when she said that they would sneak out of the house at sometimes at like two, three, four in the morning, they'd just go walk around and it was rural South Carolina. She said every time they saw a car coming, they would run in the woods and Stephen's statement about running in the woods and not staying on the shoulder of the road was I'll deal with what's in the woods because ain't nobody kidnapping this sexy ass. <laughs> so there you have it. I don't know what historical information the good doctor has, but I mean, obviously it dictates hit and run because you're found in the middle of the road. All right, so we got some more fuckery coming. Around 4.15 p.m. on the same day that he passed away, Sergeant Moore is called by Corporal David Rowell of the South Carolina Highway Patrol who tells him that Hampton County Sheriff T.C. Smalls called him and told him the autopsy showed Smith's death as a result of a hit and run. Moore calls Smalls. Smalls tells him the doctor was ruling in a motor vehicle accident and they were turning it over to us. Moore then calls Singleton and ask, quote, any notes or information that you have, please send to us, end quote. Singleton tells Moore he wasn't at his desk and would call him back in 30 minutes. 
and roughly 30 minutes, Moore calls Washington and asks him if the hit and run was his ruling as well. He stated he would have to go with the doctor's ruling, Moore wrote. Quote, I then reminded him that earlier that morning, they were certain it was a gunshot wound, and he told me he had to go by the opinion of the doctor, end quote. Moore then asked where Smith's body is. Coroner Washington tells him it's been taken to the funeral home per the family wishes at the time of the death notification. South Carolina Highway Patrolman Moore calls People's Roden Funeral Home and spoke with the funeral home director. He asked the funeral home director if he has the clothing Smith was wearing and is told it was in a paper bag with the body. Moore instructs him to immediately stop the preparations of the body and, quote, cover him up. Moore then tells Roll to go get the clothing from the funeral home. So immediately Moore knows there's some shady shit going down and they're trying to end this corruption. That's why there's two sides of this fence. You've got Hampton County Sheriff's Office, and it's almost like they don't want to be the ones to touch it, so they're trying to pawn it off as a hit and run, not knowing that the South Carolina Highway Patrol is going to investigate it to determine one way or the other. They're not just going to take this pathologist's word for it. So around 6 p.m., South Carolina Highway Patrolman Moore calls King, quote, to advise him what was occurring, end quote. Moore then calls Presnell to try and understand what made her decide Stephen was killed in a hit and run. She said, quote, it was not a gunshot wound and no bullet or fragments were found during the x-ray and that it didn't look like a bullet wound in her opinion. And that since the body was found in the roadway, she could only theorize that it had to be a motor vehicle that caused the death. I mean, at least she's sticking, you know, she's going down with the ship. Even though it's taking water, she's going down with the ship. Moore asks about other injuries on Stephen, and Presnell tells him, quote, only a partially dislocated right shoulder. Horse shit. We just went through the whole autopsy findings. There was a ton more stuff than that. He had blood in his lungs. Oh, God dang it. All right. It's very. It's frustrating, man. It's not only, it's just, it's bullshit is what it is. Yeah, it is. It's, it's almost, the, the real mystery is how they're able to get away with this type of shit. Like, we both, we're from different towns in Georgia, but they're both, rel- your town's bigger than mine, in more ways than one. Ha-cha-cha. Cha-cha-cha. <laughs> But we're both from relatively small towns, and we both know what a good old boy system is, especially the school systems we worked in. Yes. My school system in my hometown is 115% a good old boy system. It's not what you know. It's who you know. Same thing. But, man, they can't get away with this type of shit. Like, this is insanity how, how much of a good old boy system this is. And a good old girl system since old... Pres nails, she's a female. <laughs> <laughs> so more <laughs> so, so more asked Presnell if she found any glass fragments or any other evidence of a motor vehicle, and she said no. 
Quote, I then asked her why she was ruling in a motor vehicle accident and what she thought caused the head injury. She told me it was not her job to figure that out. It was mine. End quote. All right. All right. If that's how you want to play, then I'm going to prove you ass wrong is what I just said. And the two investigators that they talked to, I think they talked to more in the HBO one. They definitely talked to Duncan. I think Proctor is still on active duty. I guess he's still employed, so they kind of blurred his face out in some of the things. But they're not playing, dude. They are not playing. They both smelt shit as soon as she started opening her mouth. So 6.14 p.m., Brock notifies Booker that, quote, the victim did not have a gunshot wound according to the autopsy. Booker contacts Burns and Moore to gather more information. These are all people in the South Carolina Highway Patrol that have been brought in to help investigate this case. Moore calls Singleton again when Singleton doesn't call him back. He gets a voicemail. He instead calls Officer Smalls to see if he can get the information. Smalls says he'll call right back, but he doesn't. So Moore calls Smalls again, and guess what? He gets his voicemail. Now we stonewall him. Moore instructs Roll to go back to the scene and make sure the body had been marked and to start looking for debris in both directions. This is at 6.14 p.m., okay? So the sun's still up because this is back in July. So Roll calls him later and says, quote, I cannot find any debris at all, end quote. Moore then calls Mitch Altman and tells him to go to the scene and see if he can find any debris. So Altman drives out there, calls him back and says, Hey, Chief, we can't find nothing either. Moore tells him to go to the scene, and he wants him to sit at the scene between 3 and 5 a.m. and document what type of traffic was moving at that time in the morning. Again, y'all, we will shit on... Bad police work. Oh, we've done it for four years now. That's right. But these old boys, I want to buy them a beer. If y'all, listen, if for some reason they ever hear this podcast and y'all ever make your way to Georgia, pick up the phone. I'll meet you wherever you want to. I'll buy the rent. I'll buy two rounds. As long as it's not South Georgia. Yeah, I'm not going below the Nat line. But hell, they're from the low country. We'll go up there. And we're not going lower than the perimeter. Yeah, South Atlanta, I'm all, it's out. Marietta or higher, boys. Marietta or higher. Actually, we could probably... Well, never mind. <laughs> Give up too, too much information. All right, so we get to the next day, July the 9th, 2015. At 5.50 a.m., South Carolina Highway Patrolman Moore calls Royal and Payne and tells them to get back at the scene and locate debris or anything out of the ordinary. They call him back. Tell him, again, we can't find anything. He tells them, meet me at the funeral home. So, 8.53. Meet me in Montana. I want to see the mountains. I'm sorry. (laughs) My bad. I'm sorry. (laughs) So at 8.53 a.m. on July the 9th, SLED Officer Burke meets with Officer Moore at People's Road and Funeral Home in Hampton County to provide documentation from the original crime scene and transfer of evidence. 9 a.m. Booker meets at People's Road and Funeral Home with Moore, Duncan, Roll, and Burke to examine the the body. 
The mate team takes photos of the body and Smith's clothes. They talk to Burke about the findings. Moore describes Smith as, quote, that's Stephen, there were no visible injuries to the deceased other than his head wound and a small amount of road rash on both arms, end quote. Moore writes in his report, quote, I turned the clothing over to Duncan and after a discussion by all parties as to why this did not appear to be related to a motor vehicle, end quote. Moore, Roll, Booker, and Duncan go to Sandy Run Road to document the scene and, again, look for any evidence at the scene for approximately 100 yards in both directions. They find nothing. Now, July the 10th, 2015, South Carolina Highway Patrol sends Stephen's clothes and his phone to SLED. Officially, the evidence transfer was reported to have taken place on July the 8th of 2015, immediately after the autopsy. Quote, the following items are transferred to the Colleton County Deputy Coroner Kelly Green, who attended the autopsy on 8 July 2015. Khaki shorts, two black sneakers, black Nike t-shirt, paper bags from hands, right and left fingernail clippings, pulled scap hair, oral, rectal, and penile swabs for each dried blood spot on filter paper, and a CD with the digital autopsy images, end quote. Now, you can imagine that if the investigators into the case are disputing the findings of the autopsy, that Stephen's friends and family would be as well. They would state that, quote, Stephen was sharp and, quote, hyper aware of his surroundings. And this goes back to what Coach had alluded to about him being openly gay in a small southern town he had to be hyper aware oh absolutely 100 percent. he had to know he had to be looking at angles he had to be on his toes when he was by himself it it's sad i mean it's a sad fact but it's true i mean yes i we as very hetero gentlemen can't can't empathize with them because we just don't know exactly what they go through. But man, it's gotta be torture. It does. And I I got to thinking about this before we recorded and you know how we always try shit to comedy. I think about even back when we were kids, the old Eddie Murphy thing, his stand up thing was, and I'm not going to do the bit, but it didn't matter, man. We just, it was just our generation. All right, so what? You're gay. As long as that doesn't affect me, I don't care. And, and it affects that me. That was like your generation? Well, yeah. Come on, man. You you won't tell me. Not that nah, we weren't not that we were not homophobic until because of there were certain people that I went to school with that was, but that's because they were never around it. Once you become aware of the situation, didn't matter because hell any little town across America, I don't give a shit if you're in the city or the county that you can go through your high school career and you can pick out at least one person that was denying it until the day they got out of high school and got out of town. We all knew it. We just didn't say nothing. Let me tell you 95% of the people I went to school with that were gay. They were fucking gay. For, from the time I met them. Like, I knew several people 
that were gay before I knew what that was. I went to preschool with several, well, not several. I went to preschool with two individuals, two males that were like, they are not like me. They're not like me at all. Like, And please don't misconstrue what he said. Fucking gay is a measuring stick. Like, that's uber gay. What? I don't, what? What is Uber gay? What, what are you talking about? You said they were fucking gay, like you know, another <laughs> ratcheted no, up uh, version no, of gay. No, no, not like they were like super gay. I'm just saying they were fucking. I was using. I just say fuck. Just, <laughs> I just say fuck, man. Like it had like that was not like. I don't know fuck no, about fuck, man. <laughs> I don't know fuck about shit, my man. Like I'm just saying, like no. Okay, let me rephrase. They the were really gay. School, the people that I went to school, not really. Oh, Jesus. You're going to get me in trouble. The people that I went to school with that had turned out to be homosexual, I was aware that there was something different about them at a very early age. What I'm trying to say is they were gay from the get-go. Right. They didn't. Choose, what I'm trying to say is they didn't choose that way. Correct. They were just that way. They were, as Lady Gaga would say, they were born this way. Correct. And that's what I'm I was, the it. point I was I'm trying, trying to. trying to say that my gaydar is on point, son. Okay. I was trying to just allude to the fact of, from what I could gather, and he, when did he graduate? He was 19, so he would have graduated in 2014, 2013. I understand it's rural South Carolina and it's in the low country and all that horse shit, but come on. It didn't, it shouldn't matter. But anyway, going back to the family, he was not stupid. There's no way that he would allow himself to be walking down the middle of the road and get hit by a car. First of all, he would also not let a car, let alone a big truck, get close enough to him so that they could do something to him. That just did not happen. He does not deserve that. He does not deserve people to think that is what his mama said. And Sandy said she knew her son, and he wouldn't be walking on a rural road at night like investigators theorized. And I go back to what his sister said. When they were kids, and I laugh about it because I can just, I've seen enough pictures of him. I can almost see him saying this. There ain't no way they're going to get my sweet ass in the car. Oh, your sweet ass? You think you got a sweet ass? Oh, I don't have an ass. I'm talking about him. That's what he told his sister. Bro, I'm telling you, you ain't got a sweet ass. You can't. No, I've seen it. <laughs> and cut. We've coached together, bro. I've seen it. It ain't, it ain't sweet at all. It's kind of flat. Kind of flat. Ain't got nothing back here. All right, so this is a like quote. Varsity Blues. It is pretty nice. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. So this is a quote from his mother. All right. He, she says, Stephen was very skittish and would never walk down the road in the dark, and it's not like he would have opened his car door to accept assistance from someone he did not know, especially alone on a dark country road. His autopsy shows his toxicology reports were negative for drugs and alcohol, so I have no reason to believe he would have done something so completely out of character, end quote. If you're not figuring out what we're alluding to... She is basically saying, without saying, the only way he would have talked to someone on the side of the road is if he knew them. 
And who could he have possibly known that could have done this crime and have the, the sway to make it all go away? And that's where we're about to get to. So in September 2016, Stephen's mother, Sandy Smith, wrote a letter to legislators and police agencies pleading for help and claiming corruption in the investigation. Quote, it has been apparent from the first week of the investigation that authorities are covering up critical evidence and we no longer know who to trust, end quote. In the letter, she said that they were told that the Murdaugh brothers were involved in her son's death. She also said she believed that the Murdaugh's influence extended to all realms of the investigation and was initially tainted when it was ruled a hit-and-run accident. She said there appeared to be missing evidence in the case, such as DNA under Stephen's fingernails, the clothes he was wearing, and the rape kit that was produced. Quote, the case was mysteriously bounced from investigator to investigator without reasons or notification. It would repeatedly get to a certain point, then the assigned investigator would bow out, perhaps not in, not wanting to take on Solicitor Mardall. And yes, South Carolina is different. They still refer to their lawyers as Solicitor. And that's There's right. A lot of places do. We don't in the great that's state not, of Georgia. We don't in the great yes, state of do. Georgia. No, they do not. It is law, uh, brother. I'm, I'm just messing. I'm, I'm just messing with you, man. I'm just messing with you. I can see you, Daniel, getting up. Unfortunately, yes. Out of the two of us, you would know. Oh, oh shots fired. Shots fired. I mean, so there I was, blasting. <laughs> that hurts that you said it because you cut me off from me saying it. <laughs> Damn. Anyway. <laughs> so you heard us correctly. You heard me correctly. Yep. The Murdoughs are involved. This case directly ties to Alex Murdoch. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is where we're going to cliffhang your ass for a part two because we're already an hour and ten minutes into this thing. That's a pretty long episode for us, especially at 1048 on a random Wednesday. All because, you know, I just tried to make my lady feel special. I wasn't bitching about it. I have no, not. No, you weren't. Okay. I feel like I need an explanation because people were like, I'm unfollowing you. I'm never going to listen to this bullshit again. It's like, damn, I just wanted to make her feel special. And who take said her that? Out to a nice you tell me who said that. Off air, you tell me who said that. I'll go break some kneecaps. <laughs> well, I apologized and told them it was my fault. And they said, oh, well, okay, one more chance. And I'm like, well, okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> now, here's the thing, and this is a good place for us to stop because we're going to chase the Murdoch rabbit. As it pertains to this case, we're not getting into anything else because I don't have time or the patience. Well, there really is. I mean, there is really no Murdoch rabbit. It's pretty much that motherfucker's an asshole, and he. Anyway, yeah. I mean, we could the the. the... Anyway, okay, yeah, we'll okay. get to it. We'll, we'll get, get yeah, it. We'll, yeah, we'll get to that in part two. But anyway, <laughs> what I did want to say is this: we both have gone through some shit. And we've kept this podcast trucking along. Coach, um, you know, alluded to back when it happened, his mother passed away. We were still turning out episodes. We, for three years, tried to drop episodes during the summer break, spring break, Christmas break, Thanksgiving break, and it is a lot. 
And so we have taken more time off this year than we have in the past. But at the same time, it is due to now the burden's on me. My dad had some health problems. My mom's got some health problems now. I got some family issues outside of my household um, that I'm dealing with. My anxiety's been ratcheted up. So my body's now inventing new ways for anxiety to manifest itself. And so I get anxiety-induced hives. It's always fun, especially where they show up. Ain't that awesome how your body does that? Yeah, but for like 40 years, my body was like, if if you're going to have anxiety, I'm going to make it acid reflux, or I'm going to make you think you're having a heart attack, and it's going to be a panic attack. But, oh, geez. Let me tell you, though, don't get me started on that shit. But here's the thing. Don't get us wrong. It is absolutely f- flattering and awesome that somebody somewhere on this planet is actually upset that they didn't get an episode when they were supposed to. That is amazing, honestly. And we take we truthfully. Yeah, we take we it seriously. Believed, we truthfully believed when we started this that our family and a few friends would listen. Right. And we, we've been like top 10 in like random ass countries like Mali and Guyana. <laughs> we're still top five in Guyana. Guyana yeah. Like how, how, how did anybody find And Like we've been mentioned by other podcasts. Like uh, one sticks out. I can't even remember the podcast, but it was like, they did a, um, an episode of Arnold and Ruby, which is one of our early ones. The Mysterious Bruce podcast said this, and we're like, and I found that like genuinely because I was just I was listening to their podcast. I was like, I wonder what they had to say, and they mentioned us, and I was like, totally fangirling, like, ah! yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and the thing is, we've had several conversations with Bucoltz on Rebecca Gould's case. She put us on the board. We were on our name was on the screen at CrimeCon when they presented her case. Was it really? You yes. didn't tell me that. Yes. It said Rebecca Gould's case had her uh, podcast that she did, and then it had us. And she tagged us in her recreation of the wounds on our YouTube video. How in the absolute fuck am I just hearing about this now? Yeah, her and George Jarrett. Are you both. kidding me? No. I will, I will get her on here. Hopefully, I'll, get, I'll tag her in a post and get her to oh comment. My. Oh my God. That and was like, year one or year two. And and we've come a long way. Yeah, we have especially some... with especially with uh um audio control. <laughs> no 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 well no 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 I'm saying like our interactions with people involved in cases. Like the first family member we ever got was pissed. Was extremely angry with us and for good reason. Not saying they weren't. I said something inappropriate. And they called us out on it, and fair enough. But we're actually getting contacts by family members that want to get involved and talk to us. So we got to make it happen. We got to figure it out what we're going to do. But man, it's like. Well, here's the thing there's a couple of cases that uh, some guys out near Fayetteville want to do. Um, and for us to do that justice, it, we get a lot of crap about us not doing some big cases like Jean Benet and stuff like that. But here's the thing. When we do a case, I feel like it's an injustice for us just to half-ass it and read off of Wikipedia. If we're going to do a case, I want to be invested in it we're like this one. Off Reddit. We're going to read off Reddit. Yeah, or Web Sleuths. We're not going <laughs> Wikipedia. 
<laughs> no, but my thing is, like, if you can't tell, we are invested in these stories. It pisses me off to no end that a pathologist at the Medical College of South Carolina or the Medical University at South Carolina had the audacity to tell an investigator that just because he found a body in the road that it was a hit-and-run accident. No, motherfucker, you are an educated professional. That is not acceptable, and I won't stand for it. And that's why we get invested. That's why my blood pressure raises when I read some of this horse shit that we've had to wade through in just the first part of this. So that's why we don't cover a lot of those high-profile cases because I feel like if we're going to do a high-profile case, it needs to be during the summer, and I need to jump in. I need to shut off everything and just be eyeballs deep in it. That's just how this thing has turned out. So we do get a little bit of flack for that. But circling back, we are coming out of wrestling season. My family issues are are coming. Uh, got a, my my team got a state champion for the first time in school history. Hell yeah! It's all it was all the coaching. It was all coaching, and wasn't a damn well, thing to do with ability. I'm, well, I'm considering I'm the designated heavy heavier weights coach. I coach the 185, the 220, and the 285 weight class. When you 106 wins it. It's all coaching from the heavy guy. It's all coaching. (laughs) That's right. That's right. But anyway, we're coming out of wrestling season for coach. My family issues are are starting to clear up. So we're going to get back at it. We're going to have our normal Tuesday drops. Uh, We have got a schedule now. And you would think like, well, you dumbasses, you should have had one before. But it was just, we were trying to coincide with a bunch of moving parts. So, Good news is we're going to get back on the straight and narrow. We're going to get you some good stuff out there. So, well, you got any recommendations other than these two uh, documentaries? Well, I'm going to recommend those next week after part two. Oh, okay. You want to recommend anything no, today? I'm going to recommend those. You know. I'll give you something that is totally off subject, and it's fiction. It is Inside Man on Netflix. There's only four episodes, but it's pretty interesting. What is it about? I've never heard of it. Stanley Tucci is serving a life sentence, and he's on death row. And he is like this Sherlock Holmes-esque kind of investigator. People bring him cases, and he uses his... I'm only 30 minutes in, so... uh, it, it's real interesting, man. It's it's a quirky little show, but it, it's it's pretty good. There's a lot of dark humor in the first 30 minutes. So if you have a chance, watch that first episode. It's pretty good. My recommendation is going to be a Netflix mockumentary, and if you need to know what that is, don't be like, oh, it's a documentary. No, 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 it's a mockumentary. It's really good. I've watched the first two episodes, and I'm really – I like it. It's called Kunk, C-U-N-K, Kunk on Earth. And like, it's kind of like a Ollie G type. Way, I got you, I got you, I got you. Way more subtle than Ollie G, but it's kind of like the people she interviews are real and trying to give actual facts. I mean, whether or not they're in on it or not, but the host is absurd in a very British. Oh, I do very, love a very over-the-top British one. No, it's not over the top. It's very dry, very British humor. Oh, I do love a good British humor comedy. And I watched the first two episodes, watched them last night, and they, it's pretty damn funny for me. So if you like, 
dry humor. It's good stuff. I'm a big Watch fan it. of dry humor. Kunk. C-U-N-K. Kunk on Earth. Not K-U-N-K, but C-U-N-K. Often mispronounced cunt. No, <laughs> no, it's, it, no there's not a T in there. It's a K. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Coach. Do you got anything else? You know I don't. Deuces.